Um, as Dan has um, already said, we, we're starting a new series uh, today, a new mini-series on friendship. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at what it means to be a friend. Uh, this week, we're going to be begin by looking at faithful friends. And here in the passage um, that Sarah read to us in 1 Samuel, we have got one of the exam- uh, greatest examples of what it means to be friends. So if you've closed up your Bibles, please do uh, reopen them uh, in 1 Samuel, um, chapter 17. And what we're going to do is we're going to pull out some lessons from the story of David and Jonathan, what it means to be friends with, with one another and what it means to be friends with God. Um, shall I pray um, as, we, as we begin our time together? Loving Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we've got to read your word. Thank you um, for the time that we can spend here thinking about friendships with you and friendships with one another. We ask that you'd Bless this time together. Um, we pray that uh, we would understand more of what it means to be, um, to be a faithful friend. I just pray that you'd help me as I preach today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, I can guarantee there are some of you here today just like me. Um, basically, people who spent an uncountable number of hours sat in front of the TV watching Friends. Um, I reckon at one point it was probably the most popular show on TV, wasn't it? And um, when I was a student, there was constant repeats on E4, uh, which basically is nothing, uh, nothing to help my uh, my degree. Um, but why, why was it such a big show? Do we think? Well, David Schwimmer, who played Ross um, in the show, thinks that the reason for its popularity was was what it represented. He said, "It's a fantasy for a lot of people having a group of friends who are so close they become." like family. You see, we, we've been created by God to be, to be relational, to form friendships with one another. That's because God himself is relational. When we, when we speak of the Trinity, we speak of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who have existed in a loving friendship forever. In Genesis, we read that before, before sin, Adam and Eve knew God as their friend. And, and after sin enters the world, we, we see throughout the Bible that part of God's plan of salvation was to restore his friendship with us. So we see that friendship is important to God. Friendship, though, although, although important, it, it, we know it's not always easy. In fact, friendship with one another can, can be hard. It's costly. We will have to make sacrifices for each other. We will have to stick with one another through difficult times or, or hard circumstances. Likewise, friendship with God is costly too. Being a friend of God in our cultures means that we, we believe things that aren't popular. We might open ourselves up to ridicule. It means when we're at work and people are persuading us to do things which we know are wrong, it means we have to say no to them. It means setting our hearts on what God wants rather than what our society tells us is important. So to live as friends of God is costly. The question is, is, is it worth it? Is it worth um, pursuing friendships with one another and with God? How will, how will friendships help us? How do we develop them? That's kind of a few, a few of the things that we'll be thinking about uh, this evening. Um, you might find it useful uh, on your handout to just kind of follow along and make some notes if you want to. And so our first point uh, this evening, become the faithful friend. And now this passage here is, is perhaps one of the most famous stories in the Old Testament. It's a story of a battle between the Philistines and God's people, the Israelites. 
And the Philistines' biggest threat was the man mountain known as Goliath. And Goliath would regularly come out of the Philistine camp. He'd approach the Israelite camp and he'd shout to them, give me a man that we may fight together. The Israelites were just terrified of him. Even King Saul, the king, didn't want to fight him, didn't want to know. Then along comes David, the youngest of his family, a youth. And we all know the story, don't we? He, in full confidence, says that he will fight Goliath. King Saul lets him. So he goes, he picks up five stones, his sling, and he shouts to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. So then he runs quickly towards Goliath, throws a stone, hits him right in the head. Goliath collapses, he's dead. Now just imagine if if you were one of the um, Israelites camping on the side of the mountain that day. You've been there for 40 days. The enemy has been taunting you relentlessly through that time. Everybody feels down. You feel like, this battle, we're never going to be able to win this. Then you see David come along and he wins the most momentous victory. He's beaten the terrifying enemy. You'd celebrate, wouldn't you? A bit like a crowd at a football match when, when a goal is scored. You'd shout, you'd cheer, you'd say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you have sent someone in your name, in the name of you, the Lord, to defeat our enemies. You're probably thinking at this point, Alex, I, th- I thought we were talking about friendship today, not, not about war. Um, what on earth has, has this got to do with, with that? Well, this isn't the only time in the Bible that the crowd cheered and celebrated someone who came in the name of the Lord. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey just, just days before his death, the crowd celebrated, they cheered. They said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. A few days after this, Jesus said the words that we began our service with uh, this evening. He said, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Now, the people he was talking to, his friends, his disciples at that point, couldn't, couldn't have known um, what, was, what was to come. That Jesus, just, just like David, was about to win a victory. A victory that would involve him laying down his life for his friends. You see, just, just like Goliath, the enemies of God's people looked so big and so terrifying. Sin, death, Satan. But Jesus was about to win a victory over all of them. As Jesus hung there on on the cross, he he took the punishment our sins deserved. As Christians, we we stand totally innocent of all charges. He defeated Satan, making making a way for us to become friends with God. And he rose from the death, defeating it, making it possible for this friendship to last for eternity. If you've with us a couple of weeks back um, as we were looking through the book of Titus. Uh, We learned that it's not because of of our good works that God saves us. It's because of his loving kindness, because of his mercy. That tells us uh, that we we can't earn friendship with God. We can't can't do enough things um, to make him our friend. But we can accept his invitation for friendship. He wants, he wants to know us. He, he wants to know you this evening. So the question I suppose then is, is do, do you know the victorious king? Do you know Jesus as your friend? If not, can, can I encourage you to come to know him? 
Why not chat with someone here this evening who you know is a Christian? Ask them to pray with you so that you too can become a friend of God. For those of us who are here tonight who are already friends of God, let's just thank him. Let's praise him for that. Thank, you for, thank him for his friendship towards us. He's won it through victory on the cross through Jesus. Thank him that he is forever the faithful friend. We will never be without our friend, Jesus. So let's praise him for it. Our second point this evening is, is to know the faithful friend. So if you just have a look down at chapter 18, and here we find that a friendship develops after David's victory against Goliath. Verse 1 of chapter 18 says, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. And you kind of read that and think, oh, that's great, isn't it? They've, they've, they've become friends. Yeah, this is pretty good. But I kind of thought about this a, a little bit more and actually realised the very fact that they are friends is almost, it's almost inconceivable. You see, on one side we've got Jonathan. Now, he, he is King Saul's son. Being, being the son, he is also heir to the throne. He was a warrior. He won important battles for the Israelites earlier on in 1 Samuel. And the people of Israel, they loved Jonathan. They loved the king's son. And then on the other side, you've got David. Now, he's just defeated the terrifying enemy, Goliath, and all the Philistines. And the people, the people love David. They, they sing and they dance for him. So you can see we've got two very similar young men here. You think, surely these two are going to be rivals. Surely Jonathan, he, he, he's going to be the next, next king. But here is David, who, who's defeated the Philistines, who, who all the people love. Is, is there going to be some kind of power struggle between the two of them for the throne? But instead, we read that Jonathan and David became one in spirit. The implication is it's, it's as strong a relationship as a family relationship. It's so strong, in fact, that if, if we look at verse 3, we see that they make a covenant with one another. Now, we don't make covenants with our friends um, in, in our culture. But the idea is that they, here is that they are totally committed to each other. Just in a similar way that as David and Jonathan were as close as brothers. Christians, we, we too here this evening at St. John's are brothers and sisters. Because of the victory that Jesus has won for us, we've been adopted by God the Father. And we're called to be one. We're called to be of one spirit. So this, this, this leaves no room for rivalries within our church, does it? It leaves no, no space to be, for us to be envious of one another. We, we shouldn't look at the gifts someone has and, and be jealous or, or discouraging. We're, we're brothers and sisters. We're, we're children of God. So we can use David and Jonathan here as an example of how we are to love one another. But perhaps the most astonishing thing we read in this passage is in verse 4. It says in verse 4, Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Now we know that Jonathan is, is the son of the king. So the robe he would have been wearing was, was a royal robe. And here we see him take it off and give it to David. We see him here lay down his weapons to the greater warrior. Now, at this stage, we, we don't know if Jonathan knew that David was the Lord's anointed king. But it is though Jonathan is symbolically transferring his royal rights 
to David. This was, a, this was a costly act of friendship from the apparent heir to the throne. There's a contrast here, actually, with the king, with King Saul. After the battle um, with Goliath, Saul, Saul doesn't even seem to know who, who David is. So in verse 58 of chapter 17, he, he says to, to, to David, who, whose son are you, young man? He's basically saying, who, who are you? It seems as though um, a bit later on in, in verse 2, he's kind of twigged who David is and, and realises that actually David might be quite useful for King Saul. So he kept him. He wouldn't let him go back to his father's house. Now we know from, from 1 Samuel that King Saul was a troubled, he was an insecure king. So what he'd do, if he, if he found some use for someone, if he found some benefit in, in being friends with someone, he, he'd kind of attach himself uh, to that person. And that's basically what he did here with David. In David, he had a brave warrior. So Saul basically tries to get as much out of David as he can. Just follow along, verse 5. Whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. So we see Saul's insecurity, his, his desire for popularity amongst the people and amongst the officials meant that he gave David a high rank in the army. This verse also tells us that David was successful. But why? Well, let's skim down to, to verse 14. In verse 14, it says, In everything he, that's David, in everything David did, he had great success. Why? Because the Lord was with him. God was with David. And this is why all the people loved him. You can see why, really, the people were attached to David, can't you? He was the one who was fighting the battles for them. He was the one that was bringing them security and bringing, bringing them peace. There's a question, actually, that comes um, to us from this. I suppose the question really is, what, what is our response to the one who brings us security and peace? Are we like Jonathan and the people of Israel? Is our response to love Jesus, to, to take off our robes that we're wearing? Like Jonathan, are we willing to pay the cost of giving up our rights for the sake of our friendship with Jesus? Do we desire to know him more? Or do we find ourselves a little bit like Saul? We're not really clear who the victor is, who, who Jesus is. Perhaps we find it useful to kind of attach ourselves to Jesus. Maybe, maybe that kind of gives us a bit of comfort, maybe gain comfort from his teaching or, or status or friends. But are our hearts cool towards him? Well, I want to encourage you this evening to get to, get to know King Jesus. Respond to the one who is victorious. Respond to him in the right way. Know the one who has died to be your friend. That will mean coming to him in repentance, showing sorrow for your, your sins. It will mean spending time reading about him in the Bible. It will mean encouraging one another with truths about him. You could do that this evening as we go for pizza after the service. You could do that. You could pray. It means praying to him. It means praising him. And when we do, the reward is great. In fact, the reward is, is him. The reward is his friendship. He died, Jesus died, so that we could know him. So let us know the faithful friend. Our third point then is to love the faithful friend. 
This is, uh, real, here is, is really the only, only the beginning of the story of Jonathan and David. So it's almost like a fork in a road, actually, because on one side we have David, who, um, sorry, we have Jonathan, who continues to love David. And on the other side, we've got King Saul, who um, in, grows to be increasingly jealous of David, almost to the point where, well, actually to the point where he, he wants to kill David. So chapter 19 of 1 Samuel tells, various, tells the story of various different ways that Saul tries to, to kill David. But what, is, what is quite um, striking in, is, is Jonathan's response to all of this. In chapter 20, um, if you'd like to just flick there, chapter 20, David comes to Jonathan and he comes to Jonathan fearful that Saul's anger against David hasn't relented. He's fearful that Saul still wants David dead. So David goes to Jonathan to ask for help. And we see Jonathan's response in, uh, in verse 4 of chapter 20. He says, whatever you want me to do, I will do for you. It's amazing, actually, isn't it? Here, here, here David comes to Jonathan the son of the man, the king, who he thinks is obsessed with killing him. I mean, the only reason you'd go to Jonathan in those circumstances is if you really trusted in the depths of Jonathan's friendship for you. I wonder if we have Christian friends like this. Friends that we're able to approach when we're fearful, uh, when we need help, when we need prayer. Um, I was reading a, a book, um, and in it one, one church leader who's been ministering for many years, tells how he always asks one question after um, a pastoral crisis. That question is this, who were their friends? Who was there to help before the, di- uh, before the situation deteriorated so badly? He goes on to say that often the answer to that question is no one. He laments, if, if only others had been involved, maybe the issues would have been addressed or the pain lessened. So it's important for us to have close Christian friends. And actually, as a church, we're very blessed, aren't we? We have so many faithful Christians um, here. So the encouragement for us then is to to form deep friendships with one another. Make friends with people in your small group. If you're not in a small group, then then join a small group and get to uh, become friends with those people. Meet meet people, meet someone one-to-one so that you can talk about your struggles you can, you can read God's word together and see how it speaks into your situation. You can pray together. These are the kind of friendships that we as Christians need. So we see David has come to Jonathan and he's come with a plan. And that plan is, he's going to tell, well, he's going to tell John, he tells Jonathan that he's going to miss the feast the next day, which is going to celebrate the new moon. Um, and King Saul is going to be at this feast. And, and King Saul is obviously going to say to Jonathan, where, where, where's David? Why, why is he not here? And Jonathan's to say to David that David's gone back to his hometown of, of Bethlehem. He's going to celebrate there. Now Saul, this is quite risky, because Saul had, Saul had banned David from ever returning um, to Bethlehem. If Saul was satisfied with, where, with, with Jonathan's response, David would know that he was, he was safe, that the king's anger had relented. If Saul was angry, he knew he still wanted to kill him. Now, the whole of this plan really rested on Jonathan's faithfulness to David. It meant lying to his father about where David was. It meant putting his relationship with David above that of his father. And he could easily have sold David out and told, told him, uh, told Saul exactly where David was hiding. 
But he doesn't. The day comes. David isn't at the feast. So Saul asks Jonathan, where's David? And Jonathan says, well, he's gone back to Bethlehem. And surprise, surprise, Saul just freaks out. He even throws a spear at Jonathan, his own son. So it's quite clear here that David is not safe. We find ourselves at the end of chapter 20, just after Jonathan has passed on Saul's reaction to David. And we're going to just pick up from verse 41. Verse 41, chapter 20 says, After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. It's quite a um, a moving encounter, isn't it? Did you notice how Jonathan begins his final words to David? He says, go in peace. There was to be peace between David and Jonathan because they'd sworn friendship. But peace here is costly for Jonathan. Peace with David, with the future king of Israel, meant enmity with his father with the current king, with with King Saul. For Jonathan to have peace with David, he would have to choose David above his father. This friendship was costly for Jonathan. Now, there were were a couple of uh, of girls who were living in um, Houston in Texas who were best friends, Esther and Kay. Although they, they were best friends, they were also rivals. They were competing to represent America in Taekwondo in the 2000 Sydney Olympics. Um, they were in separate sides of the, the drawers at the trials and they both made it through to the final and they were competing against each other. Whichever one of them won would, have, would, would get to go to the Olympic Games. But Kay had a problem. In, in the previous match, she dislocated her knee. She wasn't well enough uh, to compete. Now Esther here does, does the most remarkable thing. Knowing that Kay was injured at the moment but would be fine by the time of the Olympics, she decided that she would drop out of the match, she withdrew, which meant Kay got a bye and would be on the plane to Sydney to compete for the gold medal. I think we could probably all do with friends like Esther, couldn't we? People who value our friendships so highly that they are willing to make costly decisions for us. And friendship is costly, isn't it? It takes time, it takes vulnerability and honesty to develop deep, meaningful friendships with one another. Friendship with God, friendship with Jesus is costly too. And Jonathan here is a model of what it means to be a friend of King Jesus. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus says these challenging words to his disciples. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Just to be, just to be clear here, Jesus is is not saying that you actually have to hate your family, as we kind of understand the word hate. What, what he's saying is that if you come to me, know me, then, then love me even above your own family. Love Christ above all others. Now that, that isn't easy, is it? Being friends with King Jesus will be costly, just as being friends with David was costly for Jonathan. It will mean making tough decisions about how we spend our time, how we spend our money, 
It might mean choosing to love and serve the church above even our own families. It might even mean more difficult things than that for some of us. It might mean that our, t- our families turn against us. So I suppose the inevitable question really is, is, um, is it worth it? Is it worth the cost of being a friend of Jesus? Is it worth loving him above all others? In the mid-1880s, there was a young man from Ireland called Joseph Scriven, and he fell in love with a girl. Uh, They were due to get married, but but the day before the wedding, tragedy struck. His fiancée drowned. Joseph was obviously uh, overwhelmed with grief, so much so that he decided he was going to leave Ireland, he was going to go across the Atlantic to Canada and begin a new life there. So he did, that's what he did. He, He went there, he established a home, he fell in love again, this time to a girl called Eliza, and they too were due to get married. But just weeks before the big day, tragedy struck again. She fell ill and she died. A few years later, he would receive news from Ireland that his mother was very ill and close to death. Now, at this point, he didn't have enough money to go back and and visit her before she died. So he did all that he could. He wrote her a poem. You might have heard, um, heard of this poem. It's called What a Friend we have in Jesus. The first verse goes like this. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I think Joseph Scriven understood what it meant to be a friend of Jesus. To know the one who bears all of our sins, all of our griefs, who we can carry everything to in prayer. He is he's our friend. He brings us peace. He's won victory on the cross for us. He's defeated our enemies. My favourite part of the poem is actually in the second verse. Joseph writes here, Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Jesus is our faithful friend. He knows all of our weaknesses, yet he still loves us. He still cares about us. He knows our deepest struggles, and we can bring them to him. We can present them to him in prayer. So the question we're thinking about is, is is it worth the cost? But when we consider all that Jesus has done, the victories that he's won for us over sin, Satan, and death, the friendship we have with him that's going to last forever, his faithfulness to us now, the friendships even that we have with one another tonight because he has brought us together as sons and daughters. We've been adopted by our Father in heaven because of what Jesus has done. And we consider all that, we have to say it is worth the cost. It is worth making those hard decisions for friendship with him. Just as Jonathan said to David in our passage, we too can say to Jesus, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. Because we know his friendship will always be the most valuable thing that we have. Shall we finish by praying? Loving Heavenly Father, thank you that you long to be our friend, to know us. Thank you that you've created us to be relational. That you sent Jesus to be victorious over all of our enemies, 
so that we could become friends with you. Thank you that this means we can carry everything to you in prayer, that you bear all of our sins, and you bear all of our griefs, that you are the faithful friend who will all our sorrows share. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us a church family here at St. John's, and we pray that we would be a church that is known for, for the depth of our friendships with one another. Father, we pray that you'd um, help us to love one another, to support each other, um, to walk through difficult times with one another. Um, help us to be as faithful a friend as Jonathan was to David. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.